0: Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. This is our weekly roundup where we invite a rotating panel of experts to discuss the truth you need to know behind the most important stories of the week and how they're shaping the political landscape. On today's panel, returning to the roundup, senior advisor at the California Latino Economic Institute, my fellow co founder and advisor to the Lincoln Project. He also lectures on race, class, and partisanship at USC. Our good friend Mike Madrid. Good to see you, Mike. That's me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Seen a lot of wrong laughs. You know what? Hold on a
0: minute. We'll come back to this. Making his debut on the Politology feed, James Lynch. James is a veteran of John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign. He led the war room on Howard Schultz's 2020 presidential effort and has more than a decade of experience in strategic and crisis communications, working with professional and collegiate sports organizations and Fortune 500 companies. He's also the president of James Lynch Communications. James, as always, thank you for making time for us. How are you?
1: Happy to be here. Happy to be here. I know Mike likes to eat his numbers for breakfast. So uh, I had a word salad for lunch.
0: (laughs) Sorry, folks. Mike and I have been together for the last... I don't know, 13, four, five, six two weeks. It's been over two weeks. Um, and we've been on the road and we just left Ukraine yesterday and we are sleep deprived and we are overwhelmed with all the things that we saw and did and went through. And, um, we have a lot of processing to do and we haven't done it yet. So you're getting a roundup right now because we have to record right now, but We'll have a lot more to say later on, but um, we're, our last flight of this whole thing is early tomorrow morning. And so- um, Yeah, we're coming to you live from
2: we're Frankfurt. We're coming to you
0: live from Frankfurt right now. <laughs> we were in Krakow <laughs>
2: this morning, drove in from Lviv, Ukraine the night before. So we've been uh, we've been on the road, road warriors. We,
0: we are road warriors. So on this week's roundup, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we, we are first going to talk about the stock market tumble and the Fed's interest rate hike and what it could mean heading toward the midterms. We're going to talk about abortion rights advocates protesting after the leak of a draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. And then we're going to talk about the DNC launching a seven-figure advertising spend to reach Latino voters. And then finally, when we flip over to Politicology Plus, we're going to talk about Elon Musk's pledge to restore Donald Trump's Twitter account if his deal to acquire Twitter does, in fact, go through, which Mike is skeptical about. Again, that would be in Politicology Plus, which is our private ad-free version of the podcast with extra episodes and explainers and strategy sessions and long, deep breaths. (laughs) You can't get anywhere else. If you're listening to us in Apple Podcasts, you can navigate to the Politicology Show in that app and tap the button to try it for free, or you can sign up at politicology.com slash plus, and we are going to dig in right after this. On Monday, the S&P 500 fell 3.2%, part of the worst start to the year since 1939, with the index falling over 16%. Last week marked the first time the S&P 500 has fallen for five consecutive weeks since June 2011, ending the longest run without five consecutive down weeks since that data first began being tracked in 1928, Uh, that's according to Fortune. The last decade has been more an exception than the rule. In the 83 years between 1928 and 2011, there were 61 runs of more than five weeks of declines in a row. So that's one roughly every 1.3 years. The stock market slump began when the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by a quarter point in mid-March. Last week, the Fed announced another half-point raise in interest rates, and that's the biggest rate hike in two decades. Fed Chair Jerome Powell said that they will likely have more half-point increases this year, but they aren't likely to be more aggressive than that. That's what he says now. The Fed also announced last week that they will begin reducing asset holdings. According to CNBC, the Fed had been buying bonds to keep interest rates low and to keep money flowing during the pandemic, but that inflation has forced the Fed to rethink that policy. On Wednesday morning, the April Consumer Price Index showed that inflation moderated for the first time in months, coming in at 8.3%, which is down from 8.5% in March. Uh, But offsetting the hopeful news that inflation may have peaked in March was the news that the so-called core inflation, which strips out grocery and gas costs, energy costs, increased by 0.6% in April, outpacing the 0.3% increase in March. So it doubled. So in 2016 and 2020, there were a lot of people who said, I don't like Trump, he's going to be good for the economy, or he's good for my 401k, or he's good for the stock market. How does this current economic stumble and the possibility of a recession create that same permission structure for voters? James, why don't you lead off today?
1: Yeah, so a few weeks ago, you had a guest on, you had Congressman Steve Israel on. And the one thing I took away from him being on was this mantra that should be drilled into the heads of every Democratic campaign manager this year, and that's gas and groceries. That's what this is about for voters right now. It's about gas and groceries. I just recently bought a car. The sticker price on it was probably about $8,000 less than what the dealership was selling it for. That's crazy. Usually you go to a car dealership and you are trying to get below the MSRP. Mm. And now you're trying just to get back to MSRP. We're buying a family vehicle here. So this type of thing, this is the type of situation where everybody is feeling it with their gas and with their groceries. And if it's not addressed head on by the Democrats, it's going to be a real problem for them in November.
0: Yeah, I think it's also important to note that just because, you know, e- 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 even if we think that inflation has peaked, it's still extraordinarily high. If you th- if you think about 8.3% as as the inflation rate, and that's again, and I've said this before, that is the lowest possible calculation the government can come up with. So, just let's just say 10% for talking purposes. 10% a year is what your money's losing. It's what it's evaporating in thin air, which means corporations are also losing that money too, which means corporations are going to raise prices in order to keep the value uh, where it ought to be. So um, if this persists, from what I read, uh, it looks like this is going to persist for quite a while, even if it, it it's not going to abate, but this high inflation looks like it might be here to stay for quite some time. So um, Mike, how are you thinking about that?
2: Well, go ahead and James, did you want to jump in there?
1: Yeah, I just want to say... Ron, you're exactly right. And if you look at, you know, gas prices will go up and down. They change every day. Sometimes they change multiple times a day at your local gas station. But the prices that don't change are when your rent goes up $200 a year. That rent's not going to come down again. It's going to, in a very odd situation, would it come down? So that rent is going to you know, be $200 more every, you know, every month for the next year and for the foreseeable future. That is where people are really getting pinched right now.
0: Yeah. So let's think about voters who are feeling the brunt uh, of inflation, Mike, right now. Who don't watch cable news or who don't read the think pieces about corporate profit margins, or you know, who just see that Democrats control both chambers of Congress and the White House, and this is happening right now on their watch. That is as simple as the calculation gets for most people. So, you know, we've talked about inflation on the show before. Um, and we've also talked about, you know, what I think we both agree would be a winning strategy for Biden uh, and Democrats going into uh, the midterms uh, to level up the conversation beyond inflation. but and yet the pain is still here at the at the grocery store, at the gas pump. How do Democrats need to convince voters to give them another shot at governing?
2: So look, that's a great question, and there's a lot at play here. So let me work uh, my magic here and try and flush this out a bit because all of the stuff now, does matter. We're having primary elections all over the country, and the cement is, uh, I wouldn't say it's quite starting to set yet, but it's certainly been poured, and um, the frame of this election is is rapidly coming uh, to be set. And and what it looks like is basically this. Uh, There are concerns about the economy. Inflation remains the top concern in everybody's poll going into the midterms. It's why the Biden administration in the last 48, 72 hours has said at least two or three times that this is what they're going to be. their main focus is going to be on. The Fed acting uh, to raise interest rates by a half-point hike and presumably to do it again is essentially slamming the brakes on the economy to reel in the money supply and do its darndest with the last tool it has to get inflation under control. Uh, if there is some movement without doing major damage to the economy again the underlying uh, fundamentals of the economy still feel pretty strong but as we've talked about on this show if you inflation is one of the most destabilizing things for confidence in the economy that you can have more than high unemployment more than really high interest rates uh, a visible palpable lack of confidence in currency is a visible palpable lack of confidence in the economy is a visible, palpable lack of confidence in the leadership of the country. And that's why you're seeing these numbers. So now the the, the Biden administration is making it clear they are of the opinion that they've got to get this under control in the next few months or there's going to be a bloodbath in the midterms. That's just the way that it is. Now, I've also said, and I believe very firmly, that this is not good ground for the Democrats to be arguing on. And Susan Del Persino, I kind of went back and forth on this, and I thought it was very insightful for listeners to to get a sense of how campaigns actually debate these things. I am more convinced that what I was saying actually makes even more sense, and here's why. There was actually a great Matthew Dowd piece. I disagree a lot with Matthew Dowd, but he wrote, I think, an exceptional piece on it for MSNBC Online that uh, just came out today, basically saying that with the elimination of of Roe, at least in in concept and in all likelihood, it will go away— And with the January 6th public hearings coming up in the next few weeks, you have the perfect scenario to have the political focus be on ground that is very good for the Democrats. And that means you've got to push the Republicans out to the extreme and quit arguing policy and start arguing what's at stake for the country, uh, because it's not about $6 a gallon gas. It's about losing your constitutional rights. (laughs) And if you're not willing to pay six bucks a gallon for gas to lose your constitutional rights, I can't help you. And I can't save the country. And there's no way to fix that. Right. That's that means. We've got a bigger, irreconcilable problem. So to me, that's the real clash. That's what the Democrats are going to have to. They're going to have to pivot to that strategy. They're doing everything they can from a policy perspective to rein in inflation, to tamp it down, to give people more confidence in the economy. And then you just unload the cannon on the political messaging focused on January 6th and out, and, and tap into the, the galvanization that uh, an upset uh, or overturning of Roe is going to create. And then you use that to, to, to try to protect and preserve the majority or even expand it. That's the play. That's your best shot. If you if you just try to keep explaining why Build Back Better made sense Mm -hmm, and what your policy solutions are on inflation and argue on the top topic that seems to be in the minds of voters, I'm going to tell you you're going to lose.
0: You can't talk. You 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 have to stop talking about the economy is healthy. Yeah, because it doesn't feel that way. You don't
2: feel that way. Yeah, and they're not good in the next few months. Yeah. So quit talking about it a uh, shift to the ground that you can win on. Uh, you guys have heard me say that for the past couple of years on this podcast. You fight a political battle on the good ground. You take the high ground wherever it is, even if it's not on the minds of the voters and you drive, 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 drive that messaging until it gets there. And when you've got the overturning of Roe and you've got public hearings on January 6th coming, mm-hmm. you've mm-hmm. got two extraordinary gifts that are going to allow you to really allow americans to see what's at stake if they give power back to the republicans and i can't think of a better scenario uh out of probably luck and circumstance and timing uh than the democrats find themselves in with yeah. a, a shaky economy
1: yeah james
2: are they gonna be able to do it
1: i'm skeptical that the mind of the average democratic voter is going to be focused on voting for a pro-democracy versus uh, as a top issue a pro democracy candidate over inflation or over um or voting for a pro choice candidate over inflation that's tough for me because it always to me comes back to the kitchen table and not necessarily the numbers that are presented you know on the kitchen table but the feelings that those numbers give you on the kitchen table right i'm not so concerned that the messaging should be around here are the policies and the numbers that have, of what a Republican legislature is going to do. I'm more concerned about the feeling that voters have right now when they look at their checkbooks, when they look at their bank accounts and making a snap judgment about who can make that better in the future, turning to a, to, to an alternative.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. Well, let me, let me, I don't know.
2: I just, I don't know. Can I, can I jump in here real yeah. quick? Look, I, um, I don't believe that voters vote on pocketbook issues. I think that's nonsense. I, you know, look, I'll go back to 1994. Go from 1994 to 2020. There have only been three elections in that entire time frame where there has not been a vote for change. Mm. And people are voting against extremes. I, I can't even yeah. I can't even think of ne- a time except for maybe ninety two right? It's the economy, stupid, and that was before the ninety four cycle that I'm right. talking about, where people were voting on pocketbook issues. Yeah. That's not what voters vote on. Negative partisanship has its changed. Negative that. partisanship has changed that completely and entirely. That doesn't mean that when you poll, you don't get that as a top issue. It does matter. But when you set the the frame between extremes. That's how you make this work. It's why people in Virginia were voting on critical race theory. They weren't voting on inflation. Inflation rate was still high and out of control a few months ago. That's what they were voting on, right? That what was happening in 2020, they were making a decision between was Donald Trump more extreme than Joe Biden? Okay. What was happening in the midterms in 2018? The exact same thing, even though there was this roaring economy, Donald Trump should and the Republicans should have been the benefactors of that. They lose control of Congress because people are voting against this anti-immigrant sentiment and this messaging on caravans and building the walls. And the fact that Donald Trump is freaking crazy and might take us into nuclear war because he's chumming up to Kim jong Whoever, <laughs> right? And so I say that because <laughs> there's, this, there's this tendency, this conventional wisdom to believe yeah. that it is the economy, stupid, as yeah. Carville would say. It's just been so ingrained been so in ingrained, our in conventional and it's, it's, wisdom. And it's wrong. Yeah. It's just wrong. And, it's old. And I'm not saying it isn't a part of the story you do have to get the economy under control. And there is an unease about Joe Biden, which I know people really push back when I say that, but the polling is, is demonstrative of that. One last point, because I know I've gone on a little bit long here. There is this gap that I noticed again uh, in, 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 in 2020, which I talked to this audience about, between the generic ballot and the president's approval or disapproval ratings. We're seeing that again now. Joe Biden's approval ratings are underwater by a pretty considerable number. And he's been there for a pretty long time, okay? But the Democrats are now starting to show an advantage Mm -hmm. in the generic ballot in Congress. Mm -hmm. That is a very significant finding. And what it means is, at least at this point in time, there's probably not as much of a bloodletting likely to happen in Congress because voters are discerning and making strategic voting decisions about things like having Marjorie Taylor Greene be back on committees mm-hmm. and Matt Gates being in charge of whatever committee in the House, the, the, the voters are getting it in the same way that these, especially Republican college-educated voters, I know I talk a lot about them because I think they determine elections, We're voting for Biden up top and Republicans down ticket. And 2020, this anomaly makes perfect sense when you look at it this way, heading into the midterms, These voters are saying, I don't like the Democratic Party. I'm not a Democrat the way they were in Virginia. But if the alternative is putting insurrectionists in charge Mm -hmm. of the government, I don't think I'm willing to go there. And that's why you lean into that messaging. That, and you have women uh, where the threat is real now on losing abortion rights. It's not hypothetical the way it's been in the party for 30 years, 40 years. It's very real. I think you've got an explosive... You know, combination that you've got to throw a match on and you've got to lean into that and come hell or high water, uh, win or lose, I think it's, it's the right strategy.
0: So that's a good segue. Let's pivot to the abortion rights protests. On Monday, a bill granting security for families of U.S. Supreme Court justices Passed the Senate by unanimous consent. The Supreme Court Police Parity Act would provide police protection for the immediate family members of the justices and other officers of the court if the marshal determines such protection is necessary. The bill would amend existing legislation that provides for police protection for the justices themselves, but would extend to their families if the bill passes the House. And this comes after peaceful protests outside the Supreme Court and outside the homes of several justices over the weekend. On Monday, about 100 protesters gathered in front of Justice Samuel Alito's home in Alexandria, according to Politico. I think that was a candlelight vigil, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. This came after demonstrations of the homes of Justice Brett Kavanaugh and Chief Justice John Roberts. On Tuesday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he saw no issue with the protests. He was asked if he was comfortable with the protests, and he responded, if protests are peaceful, yes. Yes. My house, there's protests three, four times a week outside my house. The American way to peacefully protest is okay. Republicans in particular have condemned the protests, calling them an inappropriate escalation in political demonstrations, according to The Hill. Last Friday, Justice Clarence Thomas said that the judiciary is threatened if people are unwilling to, quote, live with the outcomes we don't agree with, end quote. Last Saturday, USA Today published an interview with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell in which McConnell said a nationwide abortion ban would be possible if the court does overturn Roe v. Wade this summer. So, you know, we weren't uh, with you last week when this news broke. You had a different roundup. And um, so we haven't really processed this on the podcast, uh, this huge news. Mike... Chuck Schumer cited that there are protests at his house frequently. Protesters are frequently outside Speaker Pelosi's house. Uh, In 2018, Homeland Security Secretary Kristen Nielsen was heckled at a restaurant in D.C. There was a kerfuffle when a Virginia restaurant owner asked then White House press secretary to leave. Uh, How are you thinking about the protests of government officials outside their houses and just how (sighs) Just how hot this is getting yeah. and how, how, how personal it is getting, how much closer
2: it seems to be you
0: know, closing in on the, on the people themselves as opposed to the justices in
2: the black robes. I have very strong opinions on this, and I have spoken out very publicly on this for a number of years now. I've actually worked with legislators in California on this issue because it is one of the signs that I see that are um, causing – a, an erosion in our institutions and in democracy itself. So I'm going to speak to that. And then I'm going to speak to the concerns that people have too, because I know a lot of people are going to disagree on this, but here's my concern. And of this, I am convinced in the next 18 months, a government official somewhere in this country will be shot and killed. I believe that. And I I started to speak out very strongly When public officials, not even elected officials, public health officials had their homes protested during the anti-vaccine and anti-mask behavior and drove people from their jobs. People left rather than put their family in jeopardy. It is inappropriate and there should be laws against this act of what I believe to be is terrorism. This is the type of activity that we see in uh, developing countries where there's an attempt to intimidate judges, government officials, and then elected officials, although it's happening to all three in this country. And I don't care what your position is on any issue, you do not have the right to intimidate government officials because that is an anti democratic with a small d anti-democratic, uh, activity. So if you want to come back at me and say, taking away my right is a, is eliminating a constitutional right. So I'm going to, you know, I've got the authority to do that. To, to me, that is, that is, um, that is essentially, um, seditionist behavior calling for the unraveling of our democratic institutions. And I will have none of that. I think there needs to be prosecutions. I think there needs to be laws that have a safe perimeter. There used to be called uh, your your home is your castle laws. Some some jurisdictions have them. We currently don't allow this for law enforcement officers. Mm -hmm. We keep certain information private for their own protection. It's designed to To prevent the intimidation of government officials from making those decisions. And if you think that you're going to go out and intimidate people, I got an issue with you. Especially judges especially, especially judges. judges, especially it's disgusting I don't i I agree with all the sentiments these people are are, are conveying yeah. but I will not I will defend the judiciary the same way I defended this country when when you you do not have the right to do that to intimidate people in 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 office. Uh, especially judges, yeah. you are destroying our democracy and they should be prosecuted. It, it's not even debatable in my mind. Yeah.
0: I a hundred percent agree. And we're probably going to get a lot of heat for this, but it's, it's
2: right. Yep. It's,
0: it's right. And you need to, if you can't see this yet, <sighs> I don't know what to tell you.
2: Yeah. If you're okay, if you're, if you're
0: okay if, with this, if you're
2: okay with this, but you weren't okay with public health officials being intimidated by anti vaxxers, you might be part of the problem here. Yeah. Because, I mean, we're talking about life and death situations uh, with public health officials— We're talking about life and death situations with with a woman's rights to choose. I get it. They're equivalent. You can't be mad about one and not the other unless you are that deep into a partisan mind frame that you're no longer trying to find a reasonable solution. I just feel very passionately about it.
0: Yeah. This week, there's been a conflation between these peaceful protests and the January 6th attack on the Capitol or the armed occupation of the Michigan State House. So how has the use of violent... And arms demonstration reshaped how people think about protests broadly. James, I'd love to get your take on this.
1: You know, I, I'm not a big protester, but I can respect the right to protest. And I, I agree with Mike here. I agree that there is a limit, and there are should be protections for uh, people who have to make decisions. And you know, it's one thing to protest uh, a senator congressmen because in theory they are you know directly uh speaking you know represent the people but judges don't and just had an incident in new jersey where someone murdered a judge's son and attempted to murder her you know to mike's point about the chilling point and prediction in 18 months um I absolutely do agree that these people, that the judges should have protection and they should be able to make their decisions in peace.
0: Let's do something real quick. Let's see if we can locate the line between voicing an opinion and an attempted at intimidation. Where's for, the,
2: for me? Yeah. I mean, where, Yeah, to, to me, it's really be, clear. It's, uh, you I, don't show up
0: at their houses. You don't, you don't right? show, yeah, you don't I show mean, up
2: at their houses and there needs to be a perimeter around their public space and for their families. Because we had a situation with a legislator uh, an who was working on vaccines and vaccinations where people were showing up and protesting and trying to intimidate his children at an elementary school. Like, this is not okay behavior. That is an attempt to – the threat of violence, the threat of danger to, to, to change government behavior – um, and so like, uh, look, I'm, I'm a huge, huge believer in the rights to protest. I'm all about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm absolutely. all about it.
0: Yeah. But you don't show up at your, at your child's teacher's house. Yeah. Right. Protest in- is,
2: yeah. Protest is an important part of the American political tradition and we've got protections for it. And it's about redressing grievances against the government. Okay. This is different than intimidation and threats. When you show up to somebody's house I don't care if it's on a public sidewalk or in the public street. You are there trying to intimidate somebody by a show of power, and that's not appropriate. And so I think there needs to be perimeters around people's homes. A home is your castle. And I think there needs to be uh, um, perimeters around your space so you aren't being mobbed in restaurants, for example, or in public places. Because especially in the social media age, so much of this is about – embarrassing, humiliating, and intimidating and performative to show, you know, and everybody gets it on their phone and then posts it to Twitter and it becomes a big mob scene. Yeah, This is literally what the founders were trying to prevent was this kind of behavior and mob behavior and social media has made it easy. So for me, the line is, is, is when you're moving from protest to threats and intimidation, and there's a, there's a physical proximity perimeter uh, for your person and for your home and for your immediate family that needs to be protected. Oh,
0: this just reminds me of the stunts that people would pull when public figures they find people out at restaurants yeah. in DC and then show not yeah. just take
2: a picture but show up
0: and harass them, intimidate them. Yeah. Right? Even uh, what was her what was her name? You know the the Sarah Sanders, right? Sarah Huckabee Sanders yeah. out at the restaurant, restaurant in DC to, and yeah. some like that stuff to me is just it's over the line. It's it's over the line. Yeah, and there needs to the the,
2: go ahead, James.
1: It's icky. And it's very similar to what happened to Kristen Cinema during Build Back yeah, Better. Yeah. I think it was Build Back Better when she was followed into the bathroom. Yeah, you
2: know, that's just, exactly it's,
1: it's, right. It's, it's that's, that's foul a, behavior.
2: Yeah, yeah. You don't have the rights to intimidate anybody, right? And and just because they're public officials doesn't yeah. mean that you've got this right to free speech. And yes. I, I really do believe that if we don't start taking that seriously, yeah. there's going to be somebody harmed or killed, and. um and yeah. by the way, I believe this for anybody who works for the government yeah. at every level. Oh, yeah, totally. Especially election officials. They're yeah. being
0: intimidated. Their yeah. families are being threatened 100%. right now. we talked about this with David Becker. And it, it, is, a, it is a crisis it's in a our crisis. election system. Yeah.
2: And nobody's taking it seriously. They right. until somebody gets killed. They, and that's coming. That it's coming. Because we're not taking it seriously. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. So uh, last week, Republicans spent a lot of time talking about the leak of the draft decision. This week... Fox and Republicans have spent a lot of time on the protests. They haven't spent a lot of time talking about the fact that there's a draft majority opinion overturning Roe, of course, because they know that that is bad for them. Yeah. There is no, as you said the other day, there's no Republican political strategist who thinks that this is good no for serious their chances, right? Yeah. yeah, well, that's true. Um, James, what does this tell you about how Republicans think the SCOTUS decision would impact their chances in the election?
1: So I think there's some short-term stuff here, and there's some long-term stuff, right? Uh, The short-term stuff is that this could energize, you know, the the democratic voters, and you know, kind of give them some energy going into the election. But I don't know if that sticks around long-term, right? And if we look at what Mitch McConnell was saying when he said there could be, you know, Congress could uh, support a national abortion ban. And there's been some talk around that, but he was very mild in what he was saying about it. And it's almost as if they're trying to, you know, uh, provide a way for the car to outrun, outrun the dog again here and really provide a way for, okay. And w- what I mean by this is to say that getting rid of Roe v. Wade and throwing that out is what Republicans have talked about for doing so long. And it's really the organizing principle around evangelical voters. And a way to get those evangelical voters continuing to vote is for Republicans to talk about, well, we would pass a national abortion ban if we had, you know, more than 60 votes or something like that. And to keep on talking about why there needs to be more Republican senators in Congress. Otherwise, this issue could just not, not, not go away, but it's satisfied from a Republican point of view, Republican voter point of view. And they don't want to lose that voting block. So this is, you know, Mitch McConnell is very coy here in what he's doing and and, and throwing out the, the could suggestion without really being forceful about it, because he doesn't want to make a lot of noise about it right now until a decision is made.
0: Dog catches the car. All right, one more thing on this topic. Clarence Thomas, quote, people are unwilling to live with outcomes they don't agree with. That was in regards to the protests, right? How should we be thinking about that? in the context of the reporting about Ginny Thomas attempting to undermine the presidential election.
2: Look, look there's a there's, a, I, 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 there's, a, there's a theory in DC that Ginny Thomas leaked the memo. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, how, I don't know how they reconcile this, but at a certain point I just kind of, you know, quit taking them, them seriously. Right. Uh, because the hypocrisy knows no bounds. The shamelessness just knows no bounds. And so I don't know what to say to that. The I, I, it's going to be fascinating. You know, Roberts is 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 going to you know convene the court. I think for kind of like a, a private week long retreat this next week. I, it's going to be there, there could be a book written on what's going to happen this week. There will and be the, many books written yeah. about this entire saga, uh, and there should. Yeah. This is a crisis yep. in this institution. Yes. A whole branch of government has is in crisis mode. You've got. You know, a, one justice who is married to an insurrectionist and an avowed revolutionary, you've got this unprecedented leaking of a memorandum, yeah. which really is designed by whichever side leaked it. And yeah. I, I, I'm believing with increasing frequency, with absolutely no evidence, my gut told me from the beginning it was the conservatives who leaked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's more and more people coming to that same conclusion. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll see. There's an investigation going on to find out who this person mm-hmm. is. There's there's the politics of Roberts being kind of the last person as this as the you know chief justice who, who clearly doesn't want his legacy to be the worst justice ever, right. allowing the institution to crumble. And then you've got these partisan warriors. Oh, and then Justice Brown, who hasn't ruled on anything yet, is coming into this is the most. She's like, this place is I've what I'm worked. stepping into. Yeah, and you know? uh, so you know, I, it's it's um it's a mess. Yeah. It's a mess. But of course, it is. So is our Congress. Mm-hmm. You know, and the executive branch has been through uh the you know with with our previous president um through an absolute you know stretch of hell here. So all of our institutions are really being tested and we do have to take a step back at the 30,000 foot level and say, there's, there's, does this even, does this work anymore? And what does that mean? Because even the justices themselves, it's pretty clear. um, Don't believe in the institutions the same way members of Congress don't believe in the institution of Congress and the way the president of the United States when Donald Trump was president yeah. didn't believe in the institution of the presidency.
0: The justices or at least the people around them at, at the very least the people around them don't believe in it. But, but
2: but but if Clarence Thomas is 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 saying this knowing his wife was involved in insurrectionist yeah. activity, what is yeah. what does that mean? Yeah,
0: right. Also, we should clarify somewhat precedented. There have been a few leaks over the yeah. course of whatever, but they're they're exceptionally rare. Yeah. Uh and also I thought it it was interesting that uh, Roberts, for this investigation, he turned the investigation over to the marshal of the court mm-hmm. instead of to the the justice department, which would, would have the full sort of investigative weight authority. And investigative way the authority, report. criminal charge they, could, they they could bring the entire sort of weight of the law enforcement community to bear. I would to imagine find it's a
2: balance of power, though. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you know what I mean? You've got to you've got to keep all of that power concentrated within the judicial branch. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can be looking to Congress for oversight over the over the court. I mean I don't know that that's yeah. the case but that's what what immediately jumps out at me. Yeah. What I do know is yeah. this is uncharted territory and one of the branches of our government is in crisis. A very important one. <laughs> I mean they're all important but it's bad.
1: I just want to say how rich it is that Clarence Thomas is concerned with institutional you know, degradation here, <laughs> when one of his quotes in this Washington Post article is, we use stare decisis as a mantra when we don't want to think. You know, mm. what he's basically saying here is precedents only exist for those who don't want to actually understand the issue. You know, it, wow. it, it's... Uh, it's unbelievable. Wow! I mean that that is the that is the institution. Are the precedents that are that's set? That's
2: exactly right. We used to criticize this as conservatives yeah. talking about judicial the activism, activism. That's and exactly right. In the court. Yep. Now he's making the case for it. Yep. It's unbelievable. And it's so hypocritical.
1: And it's and it's insulting the way he makes the case for yeah. it. Right? He's saying if you aren't for changing this, you're not thinking hard enough.
0: Yeah. I mean, man. You really want to believe that? I mean, once upon a time, I believe the people in the robes, like, really, yeah, were above it, above it,
2: yeah, yeah. Once upon a time, we believed that of the Senate because yeah. it was it was the case, yeah, up until about the mid nineties. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Up until the mid nineties, yeah. it was the Senate was the adults, the most deliberative body uh, in the world. Yeah, yeah, and and that's gone now too, obviously.
0: On Tuesday, the Democratic National Committee announced a seven-figure paid media campaign to reach Latino voters ahead of the midterms, which they're touting as a historic early expenditure. They're launching radio and print ads in English and Spanish in states like Texas, Florida, Nevada, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, North Carolina, Michigan, and Pennsylvania as part of their Adelante initiative. As we've talked about frequently In 2020, Democrats saw Latinos vote for Republicans in much higher numbers than they had before. Joe Biden was elected president with a majority of Latino voters, but Biden's approval rating has been sliding with Latino voters, largely due to inflation. The ads will promote what the DNC sees as the Biden administration's accomplishments and their attempts to ease rising costs. The first ads will focus on Biden's American rescue plan, which created 7.9 million jobs paid for the vaccination of 200 million people and the bipartisan infrastructure law and the jobs attached to it. Well, um, maybe they've been listening to politicalology, and maybe they haven't <laughs> <laughs> Be- because the first part of this is hopeful, uh, but the f- focus of the ads um, doesn't seem to me. Very uh, effective, very persuasive. Um, Mike, what did you make of the buy? Is it going to move the needle?
2: Well, let me parse Is this. it a buy for show? Yeah. Let me parse yeah. this for, for yeah. listeners. Yeah. They say seven figures. Yeah. Because what they mean is $1 million. $1 million, right? Million. And that is over, just a
0: pittance. It's so nothing, everybody's clear oh, that there's nothing. That does nothing zero. Over,
2: over that market size. Yeah. What yeah. they're trying to do is tell everybody in their base, yeah, we're going to focus on this. Yeah, we're going to do it. This is a signal. It's a signal. It's a head, it's a head fake. It's yeah. And look, it's good, I guess, that they're doing it. They're doing it ahead of time. Um, but it's not, it's not real. Um, it, it's real-ish. I'll, I'll give them that. What bothers me the most is that it's called Adelante? <laughs> it's in Spanish, which is great. But their problem is not with Spanish-speaking voters. What does Adelante mean? It means forward. Okay. Um, but and other, they're doing them in Spanish. The, the ads well, it, are in Spanish. It says in English, English and, Spanish, Spanish and Spanish, I think. Yeah. But but again, that that dissipates the buy even more. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say is this: they should. Their problem is with U.S. born Hispanics who are overwhelmingly English dominant, if not English, monolingual English. The fact that they're calling the campaign Adelante and the fact that they're spending money on Spanish is a huge tactical error. More importantly, it's probably a strategic error because they don't know where their problem is. So, good for them knowing that at least there is a problem. At least there is a problem. They're finally acknowledging it. And it's Hispanic. Uh, Exactly. Right. Yes. (laughs) That's that's
0: the signal here. We know we have a problem and we know the problem is with Hispanics.
2: So let's do something. They're, they're at least acknowledging <laughs> this problem because after Hillary, they, they were saying, no, 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 that's not a thing. And then you had their same consultants after the Biden was clear as day. There were massive problems saying, oh, no, 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 no. And everyone's saying, no, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. And so at least they are saying, yes, there's a problem. Yes, it's Hispanic. But that's as far along as they've gotten. And, and that's not going to get them anywhere near yeah, yeah, yeah. where they need to go.
0: So here's a real question. Yeah. Here's, this is like the insider politics question because- yeah. I can see a world where there are some very smart people inside the DNC who absolutely know where the problem is, yeah. and they absolutely know how to solve it. It is Ex- politicalology, exactly, yeah. and and they they do, yeah. yeah. Except mm-hmm. that it is impossible to wrangle the very loud voices to get them to do exactly what they know they need to do, right? Yeah. Like that, that's the problem. You can't, you can't do Hispanic outreach if you don't do it in Spanish.
2: Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's and the, there's a hierarchy this in the democratic party yes. that is entirely predicated on that. Yes. And that is their problem is they've got an institutional problem and they need external voices. And I'm going to be one of those helpers <laughs> saying y'all did to together. Need to go. <laughs> get your shit together because if you keep doing this, you're going to keep losing. I told you to all these DNC listeners, I told you, you had a problem in 2016. And I was right. I told you you had a problem in 2020. And I was right. I told you you had a problem in Virginia. And I was right. Let me say it again. You still have a problem. Congratulations on acknowledging it. Because you know what? What do they say? It's acknowledging the problem is, <laughs> the, first the, problem is the first step. It's the first step to <laughs> de- solving it. It's all right. That's right. So, admitting you have a problem and, is the first step to solving to yeah, recovery. Yeah. So, so I'm going to help you with your recovery. You're admitting it. You're acknowledging it. You know it's Hispanics. So great. <laughs> you move in the right direction. But you really, really need. You got a long way to go. Yeah. And um, I, just ma- want,
0: I just want to underscore that it's not. It's not because there are there are smart people who get it. Yeah. They are not ignorant it is the it is the intra party infighting within the democratic yes. ecosystem that yes. is that is that results in bullshit like this
2: once you tell the truth you threaten a lot of people with titles who are there simply because of their Of their ethnicity, of their race, of Of their identity, identity, and they have spent their entire careers getting there. And if you don't call it adelante and you don't do it in Spanish, (laughs) then it's not really Latino. Even though less than 10% of Hispanic voters are monolingual Spanish speakers, you're forcing your party into a place it does not need to go at a time when you desperately need them to figure it out quick because of your place in the hierarchy and that's really damaging, James. Over to you. What do you make of this?
1: You know, I'm looking at the top uh, concerns for Latino voters out of that Axios poll, and I don't. I think this probably mirrors the rest of the country. I mean, the top concern is inflation, and then it goes to crime, climate change, COVID nineteen, and foreign conflicts down down the list. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mike, I might be wrong Where's here, but that,
0: by the way. <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. The immigration, yeah. Is on the list.
0: immigration, right, <laughs> right,
1: right, uh, right. You know, This this mirrors, I, in what I'm guessing, mirrors uh, the rest of the electorate mm-hmm. in, in their concerns.
2: Yeah, and, and pro- so yeah, they're sliding I mean, away from the rest of the electorate. So I don't know why they're concerned or why it shocks them. Shocks, shocks them that they're losing with Hispanic voters too, when it's suspend, essentially mm-hmm. starting to mirror the overall electorate.
0: Yeah, right, right. So. Also this week Joe Biden talked about Rick Scott's plan uh, to raise taxes on working Americans. I can't I still just can't believe that they put that shit out. That that like what that manifesto of like here's our po- that's Scattershot of like
2: policy things. They're like, "This is what it we're going to do." Mitch off. It pissed did Coca-Cola piss Mitch off. That's right. He's going. Wait a second. When we're going to literally allow the Democrats to attack <laughs> to attack us on taxes? On taxes? And the answer is, yeah, Mitch. Yeah, yeah. your party's changed. Yes, it
1: is. Uh, the whole plan was was don't show a plan.
2: The, the, yeah. the, the, Mitch's whole Mitch McConnell's
0: whole plan was don't show a plan. Never yeah. tell them what you're going to do or what you stand for. Like and now, now which, it's raising taxes. And I was like, class. Rick Scott, fuck that. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> (laughs) So, Rick Scott's plan to raise taxes on working Americans. And by the way, we should just note, Rick Scott is uh, the chair of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, which is the campaign arm of the Republicans in the Senate. Pete Buttigieg talked about this last week. Um, so here's a question. How effective of a strategy do you think it would be for Democrats to drive this home as they try to reach second generation Latino voters and beyond second
2: plus generation Latino voters pasting the Republicans as tax and spenders? I think it'd be very helpful. Yeah. I mean, look, this is part of setting that extreme frame. And if <laughs> not, hey, look at this big infrastructure plan that no. I did. Look at all the stuff yes. that we did for you.
0: Hey, no. we're like really
2: doing this shit for you. No. Yeah. A tax increase is, is frankly, it takes away more of your buying power than inflation does. Yeah. <laughs> it literally takes away your buying power. As, as your dollars are <laughs> evaporating in real time, we're going to take more of <laughs> well, them yeah, from you. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't know if the Democrats can do that culturally, but they should. They're going to need help doing it. But it's a damn good argument. You add on, look, this adds adds to the extremism in the party. They've got so many tools at their disposal. I just don't know if culturally they're capable of picking up the weapons of political war and marching down the battlefield to to get victory. I just don't know. We're going to see.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, we've got some anecdotes here to back up that messaging. We've got Ron DeSantis who has stripped away uh, the largest employer in Florida from their special you know, tax situation and has now effectively raised taxes on Floridians, which includes a lot of Hispanic voters. Yeah. You know, there, there are things that are happening, actual governing things that are happening that are, that can back up that message.
0: Yeah. Gentlemen, now that we are up to speed on, A few of the biggest stories this week. Let's talk about what we're watching under the radar. James, what do you have your eye on?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm going to keep it on uh, the spotlight here on on Governor Ron DeSantis. Um, I think that he's one of the most interesting people in American politics right now. And I'm not saying that I like him or don't like him, Well, more towards I don't like him for sure. But He's incredibly interesting. One of the things he did this week was signing a law that required all Florida public school students to learn about the victims of communism. So there's going to be a day in Florida, November seventh every year, called Victims of Communism Day. And they're going to all the students are going to learn about the atrocities of communism. And I think the article also said something about authoritarianism, which made me. Mm-hmm happy to see that in there as well. Mm -hmm. But this is where the culture war is kind of going now. And I find this incredibly interesting because, you know, I'm not, totally against I think it's a good thing
0: actually I think it's a really good thing as the as as it gets hotter and hotter and more intense and more extreme on both ends we still use this one dimensional spectrum of like left and right which is useless now like we just throw it away in the garbage because it doesn't describe anything that's happening in reality but as both parties the extreme factions in both parties get more and more extreme with with you know let's just say you know you have uh, you have a tendency toward communism on one end and you have a tendency toward authoritarianism on one end, on the other end, it makes a whole lot of sense culturally for kids right. to begin learning about what that has led to in history. I mean, sorry, but I can't believe I'm saying this, but DeSantis is right on this.
1: Well, the, the, you know, so in theory, you know, I think I, and it sounds like you, agree with what this is trying to do. What we really need to see is the actual curriculum and what's yeah, being sure. in, in it and and that type of thing. Because, you know, this could, could go awry really quickly. But it's, you know, I spend a week every year at American Legion Jersey Boys State. That was, uh, you know, a volunteer program created to teach youth about our American government and how it works. And this is exactly what that program's designed to do in, you know, many other states across the country for boys and girls states. Programs.
0: Mike, what do you have your eye on? And feel free to react to that, by the way. I think no, I think
2: I, it's it's. I, I think James is onto something there too. Yeah. In many ways, it's kind of the culture war on, on steroids, and, and it's clearly a play to. They're showing their hand on where they're going next, and what's mm-hmm. dangerous about this is when you start calling the left communists and start calling the right fascists, and there's an element of truthiness to both. Yeah. Um, You know, we we just came back from Ukraine and there's a great book that we're we're both, you know, bloodlands called the bloodlands. And it's really about Hitler, um, you know, attacking Stalin for being a Marxist and Stalin attacking Hitler for being a fascist. Mm. And it rallied both of their bases to go to war with each other. That was literally the language yeah. and the terminology. So I mean, there's a history to this and 14 yeah. million people died right. over 12, you know, years in between Germany and Russia. And 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 you know, that it's, it's just it's frightening to see all of this stuff developing again. We're just literally bringing this stuff back. So I think it's what James is saying is exactly right.
0: Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I guess the question is, does teaching this in schools so that people become aware of what can happen, Yeah, is that healthy and helpful in mitigating that eventuality, or is it just a sign that that's the direction that we're heading?
2: Is
0: it history circling back on itself again, or is it inoculation? I, you know my but this
1: all comes down to what the curriculum says. Yeah because exactly. the curriculum that's that you right. and I write that's exactly that you and I, I write is gonna be much different than the curriculum that Ron DeSantis writes. Yeah.
2: I mean look look at how look at how effective calling people communists was to voters yeah. in Florida. Yeah. Uh, um Joe Biden is a lot of things. He's not a communist. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, come on. Right? Like, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Right? But that's where we're at. That's it where is. our politics have, de- they've devolved to. It is ridiculous. So real quickly, and again, yep. hey, to, to get in, yep. we, our brains have been in I Ukraine know. for the past week and it a half. It feels, but-
0: sorry, we just have to say, it It feels weird to do a roundup right now. Yeah. It feels really weird to yeah. be talking about these things because this is not at all where my head was yeah. or has been or yours has been and we, we we're in a war-torn country we were, trying to j- survive. We literally guys than <laughs> Than 12 hours ago, we're in a war zone. Yeah. And this just, sorry if this is a weird roundup, but it's, mm, we're in a weird place. It's, we're in a weird place right now. Um, yeah. but,
2: but having said that, one of the things that I learned and one of the things that I think you're going to start to see develop as a story coming out of Ukraine is going to be on the port of Odessa. Oh, yes. Which is extremely important and really need listeners to really tune into this. The Russian blockade of Odessa is going to become a a global crisis as it relates to starvation, mm-hmm. especially in uh, poorer countries, most specifically in Africa. And here's the basic predicate of it. Um, you, the, you, Ukraine is an incredibly beautiful country with some of the best agricultural land in the world. It is the largest country in Europe and it is really the bed, bread basket um, for the entire region. 40% of, of the United Nations wheat, a basic staple for African nations and and starving nations comes from Ukraine. That wheat is being harvested right now. There's about 80 million tons sitting in granary, creating a backed up supply chain issue because the Russians will not allow grain to be shipped out by boat out of Odessa. Which is the most efficient way for it to go. It's the most efficient, yeah. cost efficient, it's the cheapest, and it's also the largest movement that you could yeah. do. You can try and ship it out, and we'll be talking about this in the couple coming days, mm-hmm. by truck. You can move it up around through Belarus. But the bottom line is, the whole supply chain for people that are about to start starving is through the port of Odessa, which the Russians have blocked. We need to get the international community focused on getting ships in there to create a safe passage out for humanitarian needs and humanitarian concerns for people who are not involved in this conflict. We cannot allow Russia to do what it has historically done, which is use starvation as a weapon of war to try to leverage the international community into kneeling down to its international you know visions of empire millions of people died and by starvation in the ukraine when stalin and the, the the russians used the tool of starvation by taking their wheat taking their crops and literally letting them die millions of people this is not new it's it's all too recent history All the signs are there that Putin will be using that again as leverage. And people around the world will not only see price spikes, which we will see, we are already be seeing
0: to. the price spikes. They're already happening because yeah. of, because because the grain traders, the commodity traders, recognize exactly what's happening. Yes. they understand that the grain isn't going to get out. Right, and so prices are preemptively going up yeah. all around the world. Yeah, and in America, you barely notice. Like the price of flour has gone up, but you really don't notice because flour is so cheap for us, right? Yes. But everywhere else, those prices are going to be a lot higher, and it's going to be a lot more painful for people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So basically Putin's Putin's on the precipice of using, starving other nations as a way to use leverage to get what he wants in Ukraine. And we can't allow that to happen.
0: Weaponizing hunger. And in Ukraine, they have a word for it, for what they went through, which we're going to talk about this at length. Holodomir. Holodomir. Yeah. Yeah, Holodomir. And by the way, for for anybody wondering uh, why, why can't they just ship it out by truck? Uh, only a tiny, tiny fraction, even if they were to do that, there are all kinds of logistical problems, constraints in loading up trucks with grain that would otherwise be shipped by port because the capacity to get that, to move that stuff, uh, is, is just, it, it is in, it's just a fraction of what they need to ship out and they won't be able to ship it out in time, which means the grain rots and then it goes nowhere and then it, it goes bad. And, as we were driving out, so when we crossed the border in and out, we used alternative uh, border crossings as opposed to the main ones because the main ones are just so – people are waiting days to get across the border in and out. And as we're driving out of Ukraine yesterday, the day before, I can't even remember. Day before. It's all blurry. Uh, we, we passed at this at this smaller border crossing 12 miles of backed up trucks Inside hauling ca- hauling goods, trying yeah. to get outside the country to sell them, which is ex- which is which has essentially crippled Ukraine's economy, and that's because the Russians have cut off every other modality of shipping stuff out. So, like this, twelve miles of the, trucks,
2: guys, bumper twelve to bumper,
0: miles backed up, can't yeah. get out of Ukraine at least. And that's at the small border crossing. Yeah. Imagine what it is at the yeah. at the at the main big ones with a lot of capacity. So, uh, yeah, so. We'll be talking a lot more about We're going about to be talking it, a lot more about this, but... But,
2: but that's just where our head's at right now. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, I just have a really quick one, which is, you know, I'm not even going to talk very much about this because everybody knows uh, my, uh, my feelings about Bitcoin at this point. But 3,000 Bitcoin ATMs were installed globally in 2022, more than 20 a day. Hmm. 3,000 Bitcoin ATMs. Bitcoin so far. ATM. Yeah, so far. It's only 2020. It's, yeah, it's May right now. We're still, 3,000 have been installed so far all over the world. That number is only going to increase as people recognize what Bitcoin is.
2: We could have used some of those in Kyiv. Absolutely. We, we couldn't we get the could
0: cash. We <laughs> I went to a dozen different ATMs <laughs> yeah. in Ukraine yeah. and couldn't pull out money yeah. because of the legacy financial system and how fucking clunky it is. It's impossible. And by the way, my bank knew exactly where I was. So- right. And people were paying for things in crypto. Actually, I paid our uh driver not a driver. who did I pay?
2: Yeah, a driver, Sophia.
0: Yeah. I paid for train tickets. I paid our I paid our fixer yeah. in uh in stablecoin because we couldn't figure out any other way to exchange value with one another. Yeah. And it was direct peer to peer and happened in five minutes. So if, this is, zone, so if you're planning on going to a war zone going to a war zone, up on
2: crypto because you're not gonna be able to get money out. <laughs> ATMs don't work in war torn countries.
0: <laughs> okay uh all right gang let's um flip over to Politicalology plus but before we do where can people find you on the internet mike
1: uh
2: follow me on twitter at madrid underscore mike james
1: i'm on twitter at james g lynch
2: and i'm on twitter
0: at ron steslow and we will talk to you next week thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening today you can support the show by joining the growing, thriving community of Politicology Plus members and gain access to hours of special content designed to help you think like a political strategist and look further down the road than everyone else and understand the forces and figures shaping the fight for democracy. You can unlock this premium content at politicalologycom plus. if you have any questions about anything we've talked about,